Hey, George, do you have an identity for the Chicago Bears in mind that you would to promote with your hires? Tough, gritty, smart, opportunistic, winning football. George McCaskey speaking at his press conference today. Sounds like he would like to hire Mike Ditka all over again if there was a young Mike Ditka out there. And uh, my next guest, uh, I wanted for any number of reasons. One, because he's just such a good guy and so well-spoken in all of his experience. But also some some unique experiences, I think, as it relates to what's going on uh, with the Chicago Bears right now. Mark Carrier, former uh, three-time Pro Bowl safety for the Chicago Bears 1990 defense of rookie of the year uh, set a, a record with 10 interceptions that year for a rookie that uh, I think stood until recently um, and in his first two seasons 90 and 91 the Bears were a playoff team won a playoff game in 90 and then came 1992 and the collapse under Mike Ditka in a 5 and 11 campaign and the firing of a legend and so with that to set it up I want to welcome Mark in the program Mark thank you so much for taking time out for us tonight how you doing? I'm good. Hub, how you doing? Doing well. Doing well. I, I, I'm in a funny place here, and I know I'm talking to some guy who had a, a ten-year coaching career uh, with, with three different teams. Um, there is a level of excitement and satisfaction amongst Bears fans because it was time uh, for change, and, and change was necessary. And so a GM and a coach were fired, um, and and you know their their records demanded that. But there are also two people who acted with, with great class and had some success and brought some good moments, too. And, and I just always struggle to, to celebrate this kind of stuff. And, and, and it leaves you with mixed emotions, having been through it from all sides as a player, as a coach and as a fan. I'm curious for your reaction. Well, it's, it's a tough situation all the way it goes. I mean, the, the business part of it warranted like, hey, we're, we're going in the wrong direction. We need to make a change. The human side of it and being part of it and being, you know, let go from other jobs, it's like it's it, it's a, a game changer. It affects not just those individuals, it affects their families. And and then your other coaches and your other subordinates who work with you, it affects their families. I mean, so it's it, it's a tough way all the way around. I mean, you, obviously you, you deal with the, the wins and losses part of it, that, hey, there's a change you knew it was coming and need to be made, but then – you know, you got families being, you know, don't know what's their next, you know, what's coming, what's next. That that puts them in a very tough situation to deal with. That that's very uncomfortable. Mark, you you were a first round draft pick of a team that had uh, dominated the NFC for half a decade. They they were basically a dynasty when you got here. Uh, they were able to get you because the one bad year they had in the second half of the 80s uh, was 89. And so they're picking, as I recall, sixth, correct me if I'm wrong, in, in 1990 and uh, get you All-American out of USC. And, and the first two years are, 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 are spectacular. Didn't go maybe as deep in the playoffs as you had hoped, um, but, but nothing but, but, but honors and recognition. And then in 92, it, it just all came apart. Now, you know, Matt Nagy and Ryan Pace certainly didn't have that kind of success. But in 2018, their first year together, they were the, you know, the coach and the executive of the year. And then it started coming unraveled. So, so take us back, if you will, to 92 and just tell me a little bit about what was going on, what it felt like, how the players reacted as, as you felt it all coming apart. 
No, well, it wasn't. I mean, I like, remember it was a while, but I, you come would remember. It's just when you go into the facility and and just a feeling when you're, you know, I don't know what how many games we we lost what eleven games that year, so we probably lost about seven or eight or nine in a row at one point, and uh, you know, I think I, I got benched for a game, and because they were just trying to figure out, you know, make a change, and then I got put back in a, a, a game or two later, and. And you, you know, you hear the grumblings on the wall, and nobody was happy. The Dicker wasn't happy. The players weren't happy. You knew something was going on, and, and the city, for whatever reason, was 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 not happy. And it was just miserable because you go out and do whatever you can to perform, prepare yourself to perform, and perform the highest, and you you come up short. I, I mean, the one highlight I remember that year that was Singletary's last year, and we go at his last game. We played the Steelers, so I think we're twelve and four that that year. And we go out and just drub them like like we're like we're a Super Bowl caliber team, uh, but we you know for the love of Mike Singletary, we all went out and played our butts off because we wanted to send him on a high note. I mean, so it's just so how how at how game is so fickle with just emotions and attitudes and things where we were struggling, couldn't win a game, and then uh, we we all came together as a group saying, hey, we're not sending that, that Mike Singletary out on a bad note. And went out and beat the crap out of Pittsburgh Steelers at home. They sent Mike on a winning note. And I think the next week we ended up losing again. So it, it just, just goes to show you. And then afterwards, knowing change was coming, you just didn't know what. And then obviously coach being released and and uh, uproar of that. And then figuring out what was coming. And obviously coach wants to come in. And so it, you, you just have to kind of just – hold on and deal with it and, and, and deal with life on life terms and be ready for what happens. You know, Mark, I, I think you just said a lot of the guys knew what was coming. Um, over those last few weeks, was it a topic of conversation in the locker room? Is it something that players actually talk to each other about, compare notes, uh, uh, you know, ask each other what they think their options might be, or, or is it something that you just kind of wait and watch? Well, yeah. Again, you, I mean, guys had. You know, I can't specifically remember the very the type of conversations during my uh, finishing up my third year, and so you know, the first two years we had success, and then this year it's just bottomed out. And luckily, I had guys like Sean Gill and Singletary and Dent and guys to lean on to kind of figure out, hey, how do you, how do, what do you do, how do you handle this? And and they were pretty good about, hey, all you can do is control your what you can control. And you got to go out and play and do your job. And so they was, and don't get caught up in, you know, get, it was frustrating. The media was on you, and how to help you. But the best thing they kept telling you to do was, hey, just stay, stay poised, stay true to who you are, do your job. Don't give anything else extra to add it on for them to talk about. But just keep going. It's, you know, you know what they say: if you think you're going through hell, don't stop. Because the only way you get out of it is to keep moving. So that was kind of the, the idea about that. Mark, I, I really can't remember because we're trying to go back, uh, what, almost 30 years now. Actually, it is, th- well, no, no, 29 seasons. Um, if if the players all came in the day after for exit interviews, I remember like yesterday, the scene, you know, around Mike's firing and, and fans uh, lining up on the street outside the old Hallis Hall and uh, him up in the second story window. Yeah. Um, uh, were you in the building that day? Do you Do you actually remember anything about that? I, I do not. I can't say. I do remember the, the fans, the fan uproar when it when it did happen and when it was, was let go. And you know, I, obviously, I was 
favorite and still is coach is in this city and this and town and but I do remember it was I mean we were kind of the best thing they kind of told us at the time once you get your meetings kind of stay away and let us work you know the, you know, the administration at that point say hey you know we're making some changes this is what we're going to do so they you know it was recommended that you know you kind of stay unless you had medical issues to deal with kind of stay away and let us write this out and figure let's get this figured out so they hired Dave Wanstead, um, the defensive coordinator of, at the time, the most successful team in the NFL, the Dallas Cowboys, who were on a run of three Super Bowls in four years. And and what what did you know about Dave Wanstead? What was your initial you know introduction to to the new coach? Well, for me, it was one of, ex- of excitement because I had known Coach Wanstead. Uh, coach uh, recruited me. <laughs> he was my first really. Out of, out of high school. So I've got to, at the time, known Coach Wanstead, uh, you know, my junior year in high school because he was, at the time, he was, he was coaching D-line at uh, USC, and he was one of the first people who started re- recruiting me uh, my junior year. So obviously he was showing strong love and, and feelings for me at the time because I was being recruited hard by, by USC. And then all of a sudden, Jimmy who's at Johnson, who was at Oklahoma State, got the job at Miami and and brought Dave with him. And, and next thing I know, I get no calls from Dave. It's like he never even was part of my life. <laughs> so going to my senior side, so that's how but, but then, you know, I, but he was always good with me. And, and I knew of them and with the Cowboys and what they success they had. And so when he came, when I saw that he had got the job, there was a, a, at least a familiarity about who he was. They were the hot team and staff during that time so I felt uh pretty good and, I, and then you know like anything else you, you just got to give that person a chance and see what they could do and hopefully make things better I remember uh and again a different time didn't have the the organized uh, team activities the OTAs and multiple mini camps that you have now um, but because he was the new coach I think the first introduction of the team was when we made that trip out to Arizona and had those two or three days of practices at Mesa Junior College, I think it was. And, and um, uh, the, the attitude of the team, you know, once it had settled down, it was a couple months later, uh, and then, you know, ready for the new beginning. Is that the best way to describe it? You know, just that yeah, it's yeah, that, that, for everybody? Yeah, 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 I guess so, yeah. Because no matter what, you still got a job to do, uh, you, know, you know. Obviously, you let a, a favorite go, and now you got new brand in. And Coach Monster's coming in, you know, you know there's going to be changes because, you know, they want to implement their style, their technique, their way of doing things, and they were going to weed out who wasn't going to be part of it and bring in guys who want to, you know, represent what they want to do moving forward. So, and you, if you want to be here, you obviously want to, you know, make an impression on the new, on the new staff. So so there was, a, there was a buzz in the air at the time to uh, to, to, to do well. So, Mark, the the other side of it now, because, again, after a a highly successful playing career, you had a very successful coaching career. I know I shouldn't say I don't think you interviewed for any head coaching jobs, but I know you worked with three different teams as a secondary coach. And um, uh, the the, the coaching interview process, I assume, has got some similarities when when you meet with a head coach to interview, much like a head coach meets with a GM, what what can you tell us about that process? What what is expected of you when you come in to interview? 
Well, you see, when you made it to that far, you're really you're being considered pretty highly, you know, when you get to the head coach because it's this is a little it's a lot different, you know, compared to when I first got into what it is now. I mean, let's be honest, it's it's a buddy buddy system. I'm not going to, you know, granted some guys, you know, there is a hierarchy. I mean, a hiring system where you go and meet in front of it a coordinator, a coach, or a head coach, and you go over X's and O's, philosophy, styles, mindset, that's part of it. But there's also, hey, there's a big part of excuse me, where, hey, the, I, I work with this guy. I know he's good. He can, I don't know, he might not be the, might be a terrible coach. I don't know, terrible communicator. But if you've got a good relationship with that coach or that's somebody that usually is a good attraction, or let's not be, let's be naive either. If you're part of that agent group, you're, there's a good chance you're going to be part of that group. So there's a lot of different things that go into play. It's not just you being a good coach and getting the job. You just got to know and be with the right people, too. It's a big part of it. Mark, I, I know you've been out of coaching for a little while now um, uh, with the concerns about the lack of my, minority candidates and minorities in head coaching and coordinator positions. We have the Rooney Rule. Um, uh, to the extent that you have knowledge of it, how, how much do you think that impacts the whole process? And, and I think what gets lost here sometimes is that the purpose of the rule is to create opportunity, but there is still no obligation to, to hire a minority, or, or I don't see how there could be. Am, am I misstating that in any way? No, it, yeah, it's it, there's no, it's not obligated. They just want to get more 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 people of color more opportunity, chance to get in front of the people who make the decisions to get hired. And, and they're trying to move that forward. They're trying to do it. But it's also a private business. There's only 30, you know, you got 32 very successful people or families or organizations that, that you're going to try to tell them, hey, you have to do this. Well, wait a minute. I just spent $7 billion. Why are you telling me what I have to do? <laughs> I don't have to do anything. So, I mean, it, it's a, it's, it's, they're, they're the NFL is, trying to move it forward or trying to get more things, you know, you have to do interview two G, you know, two people of color, two G, two people of color for the GM job. I mean, they're trying to add best they can to move it forward. But the part that's got to change for that to even be effective is that you've got to get more people of color in the hiring position to give themselves a chance to maybe have that opportunity to bring in more people of color. So, Mark, uh, I'm going to let you go. I really appreciate your time tonight, but just one or two more questions. Uh, the, the Bears have always been uh, somewhat proactive, active with their alumni group, their their alumni club. They have an alumni weekend every year, uh, try to stay close to, to, to guys who play with the team. Have you ever participated in any of the alumni activities? Uh, I can't. I have well, since I moved back a couple of years ago. I've gotten more involved, and not as much as I want to because of my own work but i've definitely compared it was prior to i was back here i've gotten definitely much more involved in it well and the reason i ask is because there there is a loud voice in the fan base out there that wants some of the great players of the past to be involved to, to help the mccaskey family because even though they've owned the team for 100 years uh they tell us that they're not the football experts 
And so, you know, there's this belief that, well, why don't they reach out to some of the great players? Uh, if you, especially as a guy who, who not only was a, you know, a pro bowler and an all pro and a rookie of the year, but, but, but a successful coach for a number of years, have you ever had any outreach? Have you ever heard from anybody in the organization, if nothing else, just to, you know, say, hi, how you doing? Any thoughts uh, well, looking for input in any way? Well, I mean, I've, I've, I've reconnected with the organization once I moved back and, with people behind the scenes just to let them know, Hey, I'm in town. I want to, you know, just I want to get back involved with the organization again. But from that standpoint, that's a, it's, it's a man, it's a thin line. I mean, uh, I, you, you want, you want your, your, your people, your football people, especially, you know, alumni greats to, to, to be part of the organization, but also, Football, as you know, has really changed over the years. It's it's different, different coaching, it's different, you know, philosophy, understanding how the games evolved from college into the pros. So it was one thing to get input from former players, but it, you know, you also got to have those former players got to be into the know of what's around, what's going on, what's what's the what's the mindset, what's the plan, what's the idea, what what are you, what are you looking for, what's the de- what are you developing, what are you? I mean, there's so many different. I've learned that from. Once I got into coaching, you know, everybody thought, hey, oh, you'll be a good coach because you play, you're successful as a player. No, that's not necessarily true because I learned that thinking, if you go on with that, thinking that mindset, you forget about how to communicate, how to, you know, see the big picture, how to understand different things and what's going to make you successful. So you just can't just thinking, well, I, because I was successful, I would be, a, I could be a great uh GM or manager, it's it's not as easy as that. But it's also good that you need to get fresh eyes in there sometimes, a uh, different mindset, new 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 thoughts, different someone from different ways looking. You know, some with football background, kind of giving an input just to say, hey, here's what I'm seeing, nosy, just to give you just new ideas to keep things fresh to find out what's going on. Uh, in football world today, what's the game? How's, where's the game moving? Where's the game evolving? I think it's always fresh to get fresh ideas, too. Visiting with Mark Carrier, Chicago Bears, great former defensive rookie of the year, also a longtime NFL coach. And, Mark, I'm going to let you go. i got one last question for you, though. I, I think that often uh, folks who don't work in or around the game don't understand what coaching is all about. And I mean the grind, the effort, the hours, the time away from family, everything that comes with it. Um, I, I know that you're you're happy in the work you're doing now with Loyola Academy and doing some broadcast work. Um, are you done? Does it burn you out? Or, or do you ever think, gee, I'd like to give it another go? No, I, I you know, great question. I've had my turn. I've had my shot. Uh, I was fortunate enough to get 10 and, and work with some great coaches, some great people and great organizations. But uh, I, that part of my life has, has, has moved on. It's time to, to let someone else do it. I still like to be, like, I enjoy being part of football, you know, see and, and being around games, being around players. And But that part, coaching part, no, I've, I've had my run. It's someone else's turn. Mark, thank you so much for your time tonight, man. It's always great to get to visit with you. The insight is outstanding. I, I think what's lost on a lot of folks right now is it, it's not just about hiring a coach and a GM, uh, but there's about 60, 65 players who just finished a year with the Chicago Bears, and everybody's wondering and waiting now, and I appreciate the insight as to what that must must be like for the players as well. Yeah, it's a tough, it's tough. I mean, you really can't. I, I, my wife was mentioning it just earlier today, and, 
talking about it, you know, the toll that it has on families, you just can't imagine. I mean, it's one thing about the players is their job is part of the deal, but what the 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 the, the problems are the, the the thing, the pressure that's put on families with kids and marriage and the what ifs the sacrifice, thank you, honey. The sacrifice <laughs> that that goes on is it's you, you just can't put it in words unless you've been through it to understand what they all go through. Mark, thank you so much. I, I think it's a good place to say good night, and I hope we'll get to do this again. Uh, there are going to be a lot of conversation around the Chicago Bears right now, and it's great to be able to get to visit with someone who brought so much to the organization. No, thank you. My pleasure. That is Mark Carrier. We appreciate his time so much, and we will now take another quick commercial break. Before we get back to all of you, your phone calls and texts are up next. 312-644-6767 is the phone number. You can also text me at that number. We are talking about the future of the Chicago Bears, a new GM, a new head coach on the way. We had a press conference today that lasted one hour with George McCaskey. We're playing some parts of it for you. We also, uh, in in a short while, are going to replay for you part of the interview that Olin had. Olin Krutz, uh, I believe he was on with Danny and Matt this afternoon in response to um, a particularly uncomfortable moment in the press conference with George McCaskey uh, where he was asked about some comments that Olin made. So uh, stay right where you are. we got the best sports talk for you in Chicago right here at 670 The Score. Well, I think I've said before, I don't entertain calls. Uh, we're interested in hearing what the candidates have to say about the development of the entire football organization, um, and especially the quarterback position. We want to know uh, what their plan is to develop that position for us. Welcome back to the program, everybody. Hub Ark is here with you until 9 o'clock this evening as we discuss the news of the day, the news of the season, basically, for the Chicago Bears. Uh, by now, everybody knows Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy are both out. George McCaskey held a one-hour press conference today in which he announced that Bill Polian has been brought in to advise him and assist him in finding a new GM and head coach. Uh, we are playing various sound bites from that press conference. That was George answering the, the question, actually, was what if a head coaching candidate or a GM candidate were to come in and say, I'm not a Justin Fields fan, I want to move on from him, would that be an automatic disqualifier? And and that answer was George kind of, uh, quite frankly, evading the question. Um, Because I don't think he knows the answer, you know, until you talk to these guys. Uh, And and again, guys... (laughs) I'm not choosing sides here. I I don't have any strong opinion on anything today other than the fact that George clearly made a big mistake by saying he was removing Ted Phillips from the football operation and then saying that Ted Phillips would continue to be a part of the football operation. I mean, that's basically what happened. Um, uh, and, And so once again, it set it off on the wrong track. I do not think that this was the disaster that one year ago was because um, uh, they just came out of that looking awful. I, I think a lot of what we're getting today is just some of the natural fan resentment that's built up towards the towards the family and towards George because of the failures to this point. Um, uh, and, and people are looking for things to pick apart. On the other hand, unfortunately, George did give uh, more ammunition than he should have, and so that's where we're at right now. 312-644-6767 is the number. That gets you into the BetQL 
listener line and BetQL, um, uh, the, I should say the score is presented by BetQL, Smarter Bets. Start with BetQL. Download the BetQL app or visit BetQL.com today and we will go to the BetQL listener line and welcome in Joe who's up in Milwaukee. Joe, how you doing? Hey, Hob, how are you? Good, thank you. Hey, uh, I don't know. I, I would almost say that the way that stuff went down last year almost makes this year look even worse. It, it was bad last year. We all knew watching the games as fans, like George says he's a fan. If he's just a fan, we all saw it. We knew these guys probably should not have been extended, probably have not had the ability to extend draft capital, do the stuff they did with Jimmy Graham. So to me, that, that that's just a huge, huge failure on their part. I mean, yeah, Pace is gone. Maggie's gone. But Pace made some really bad decisions. And um, the cap's going to look really good, but it's, it's going to look good because how many players are going to be off the roster on both sides of the ball? Um, I just think it makes George and Ted look even worse because they made, they, they made the wrong decision last year and we all, everybody knew it. Everybody knew it. And if you didn't see this disaster coming, it, Joe, thank, thank you for the phone call. Listen, I, I, now we know they made the wrong decision last year. Uh, but at the time, the decision was was perfectly defensible. As a matter of fact, it would have been harder to defend firing them. They, they were coming off of three seasons um, two of which ended in the playoffs with, with a significant winning record and having never had a losing season. And even though there was a lot of concern and, and, and discouragement with where they were at, um, coaches and GMs don't get fired for that. It, it was just that the fan base was really upset. And, and, and I understand that. Now, a year later, you can look back and say they made the wrong decision. Um, but at the time, the problem wasn't that it was cut and dried, it was the wrong decision. And the, the problem was the way they defended it or when it, were unable to defend it. And, and the problem was, much like it is now, trying to understand where Ted fit in the whole equation and how much of it was actually a failure organizationally of not allowing these guys to do their job and, and you know, how much of it was that they were just the wrong people. So, yes, 2020 hindsight, now we know it was the wrong decision. But um, I, I don't know what's accomplished at this point by going backwards. Uh, you know, even now at the end of this season, okay, you know, we can be as upset as we want, but they were fired this morning. Um, uh, they don't deserve to be punished anymore. Firing stings enough. And, and uh, they did do some good things for the organization, albeit all too much of it in just their first year. And then three painful years, or, or not three painful years, but three bad years and um, one very painful one later. Uh, this is where we're at. So I appreciate your comments. And, and, and you know, there's no right or wrong here, but but that's kind of you know my response to, to your call. And I thank you for it. Uh, let's get to uh, Aurora and welcome Danny into the show. Danny, how you doing tonight? I'm doing pretty good. How about by yourself? Good, thank you. Uh, I just wanted to quickly talk about a candidate for the Bears possibility. It's not a name that's been thrown around a lot, I think. Maybe Jim Caldwell. I think uh, he's a pretty good uh, leader, man. He can probably rally around the team, get him to knock some nonsense out of them, you know. But other than that, I'm just going to hang up and listen to you. What you have to say. Thank you. 
Well, Danny, uh, you know, Jim Caldwell is, is a very successful and, and highly respected former head coach. He actually won with the Detroit Lions, you know, and that's been near impossible for about two, three decades. Uh, also uh, won with the Indianapolis Colts uh, following Tony Dungy um, and has been uh, oft mentioned as possibly the best choice for the Jacksonville Jaguars right now. And I believe that Jacksonville has already interviewed him. And, and, and so um, certainly a quality name, a quality football coach, um, and somebody with an obvious connection to Bill Pullian. So uh, it's it's a good call, and it'll be interesting to watch. Is he the best candidate out there? Um, I, I have some concerns. Uh, I, you know, I, I've been clear for about four or five weeks now since we knew this was coming, or at least suspected this was coming. I personally think Todd Bowles is the best candidate for the Bears right now. Um, and, and we all have our own criteria by which we get to this. But, but Jim Caldwell is certainly a, a good name. Uh, and, and if he hasn't been mentioned yet, he will be because there is a connection with Bill Polian. So we will keep an eye out for that as well. Uh, let's get one more in before we're going to need to break again. Tim is dialing us up from Oak Brook. Tim, how are you doing tonight? Doing well, Hub. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Um, do for you? So I, I think I had a little bit of a different perspective from, from other people with respect to the uh, interviewers that will be in this process, mm-hmm. uh, specifically with Tanisha Wade and Lamar Campbell. I know you had talked to Pat about uh, Tanisha, a little unsure of why she's in there. Um, within bigger corporations now, the growing trend is to have uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion uh, specialists involved for the very reason uh, that they can help uh, control the interview process so that you aren't weeding out people who have a different background than yourself. And Bill Polian and George McCaskey are uh, a little bit of a similar demographic. So, uh, that's important to have someone in there to kind of guide that, keep the, uh, keep the net wide uh, during those processes. In addition, Lamar Campbell, he's been a player for four years, if I'm not mistaken, an NFL player. So I, I know we were screaming, we as a fan base were screaming for players to be involved in these processes. I think we, we kind of got one. We just didn't get the one that we maybe wanted in, in like an Olin or a Lance Briggs or or uh, Alex Brown or something like that. So um, I, I kind of feel positive about about this. And let me know if I'm wrong to think so. Uh, thanks. Well, Tim, you're certainly not wrong to think so. I would never say that. Uh, you know, again, your opinion is as valid as anybody's, mine included. Um, and and it is helpful, uh, you know, with your describing the, the process in, in other corporations. I guess my, my, my one reaction to what you said, though, is, again, um, you know, Bill Polian, having hired Tony Dungy and, and Jim Caldwell, both minority coaches, I, I'm not sure um, that, that he does need help w- with the appropriate way to interview minorities. But that said, um, uh, this is, I guess, a different generation of minority coach, although there is the possibility that Jim Caldwell could be a candidate again. Um, uh, Soup Campbell, um yeah, um, you, you know, a player's background, but um, I just, you know, <laughs> we, we, you've got a guy who's in the Hall of Fame for hiring coaches and general managers, and, and, and I just don't know that he needs a, a former player who had a 
somewhat marginal career that is going to come and shed any additional light. But I could very well be wrong on that, you know. And so um, I think your call is helpful and I appreciate it because I, I have questioned the inclusion of those two. Um, I, I just, I, I do know, you know, I ran my own business for 40 years and, and, and hired and unfortunately had to let go um, a number of really good people. And, and I had my wins and I had my losses. Um, uh, and, and getting other people's opinions of candidates can be good, but also, you know, filling the room with people who might have their own agendas and might be looking for different things. Um, it can kind of clutter the playing field too. And and so, um, I, I think you have to be aware of all this. And to me, the key is that Bill Polian is someone who has done this as successfully almost as, as much as, as anybody in the history of the game. And so um, to the extent that, that he is comfortable with soup and Tanisha, then, then I'm comfortable, you know, if that's what they think they need. Um, but, but again, it, it just, it, it seems unlike what I know goes on with most NFL franchise, at least in terms of hiring coaches when they have a quality director of football operations or GM in place. Um, I guess it would be a little different for hiring that GM or that director of football operations. And it may actually make more sense that their inclusion is there for the top guy, the GM or, or, or the director of football operations. But once he's in place or she, but I don't think there's any female candidates out there right now, um, then I would hope that everybody else could get out of the room and Bill Polian and that new director of football operations could hire the head coach. So just the way I would assume it would go, uh, there is no uh, instruction manual here. There, There is no right or wrong. So, Tim, actually, excellent call. Helpful. Thank you very much for that. We're going to take another commercial break here. We'll get back to your phone calls at 312-644-6767. You can also text me at that number. And I think in the next segment, we're also going to play a little bit of that exchange today between Olin and Danny and Matt um, to give us a little more clarity on what was going on there. Uh, Well, I shouldn't say a little more clarity. We'll give you Olin's side of it as far as what was going on with George's rather strange response to the question about Olin's um, um, uh, report or acknowledgement uh, earlier. I'm not sure when he first talked about it on the air. I'd actually talked to him about it some time ago um, that the Bears uh, allegedly offered him a, I think it was more of a tutoring job uh, or a partial coaching or advisor's job at what in effect is going to be the new minimum wage in the city of Chicago once it finally reaches that level of $15 an hour. So that's coming next right here at 670 The Score. I've learned over the years to take just about anything that Olin says with a grain of salt. And I look forward to hearing that story again and hope includes it in his Hall of Fame speech. That's the way it is sometimes with Olin. Don't get the whole story. And Olin knows what the story is. That was George McCaskey today uh, when asked about Olin uh, telling the story I believe here on 670 The Score about an offer that was made to him to come in and work with the offensive lineman. I believe it was in training camp uh, and the offer to compensate him at the rate of $15 an hour. Um, I, I don't, you know, I had heard the story some time ago talking to Olin and just kind of smiled about it. Um, and I'm pretty sure it was the whole story. I don't know what George was talking about. 
my sense almost felt like George may have gotten caught off guard with that one. Uh, we're going to let Olin respond to it in just a couple minutes. Uh, we do have a couple callers, though. I want to get to you guys first so you don't get stuck on the phone. Um, but stay with me because we will, when we get a break in the phone calls, uh, play about five minutes of Olin's visit with Danny and Matt uh, this afternoon. Uh, also, before I get back to the phones, there are multiple reports out there that the Bears have now asked permission to interview Cleveland Browns vice player of personnel, player personnel Glenn Cook, and vice president of football operations Quesi Adolfo Mensa. Um, uh, these are reports and, and these would be early requests to interview. It is worth noting that Glenn Cook was a 2009 draft choice of the Chicago Cubs. And uh, as a matter of fact, when you start uh, doing a little research, you'll see Glenn all decked out in his Cubs uniform. So uh, uh, we'll get to more of that as well. Um, you know, there, there's going to be a lot of names that come up that we know that we can offer insight to others that um, are, are lesser known, a little surprising to us. I do know uh, Glenn, Glenn Cook is highly respected. I, I'm not saying that uh, Quesi Adolfo Mensa isn't. I'm just not as familiar uh, with him in the role of vice president of football operations. What I would say, though, is, you know, you're looking for guys with a track record of success. And I'm not sure that the Cleveland Browns uh, organization is is where I'm going to be going for that right now. That should not disqualify these guys. I mean, again, you go out and interview them, you find out what their chops are, and and you know you may have the next Bill Polian or the next Bill Belichick. Um, uh, but I think there will be other names. Uh, that will come with at least a clearer um, uh, track record of recent success. We'll see how this all plays out. Um, it, it is also, and I hate to do it, but but it, it's part of everything that's going on right now. And so I, I should report that these are two minority candidates. And, and um, uh, there are requirements to interview minority candidates. I'm not saying that's the reason they're getting the interviews. Um, but if we're going to report all this accurate, we, accurately, we, we do need to um, uh, distinguish uh, between which candidates do also fill obligations under the Rooney rule and, and which don't. Um, let's get out to the phone lines in Glenview and welcome Alan in on the BetQL listener line. Alan, how you doing? Hey, Hub, how are you, buddy? You're doing Thank a great you. job. Thank you. Um, got one question that I'm just challenged with and I'm troubled with right now is the Bill Polian thing. I, I hear everything you say about one of the brightest minds. And here's my one question for you. If he's supposedly giving a list of candidates to the owner right now, why would he possibly give any head coaching candidates before picking the GM, realizing that any GM that really is someone who's good and confident, why would he want the owner talking to coaches before he talks to a potential coach? Well, Alan, first of all, let, let's be careful to only, you know, report on and analyze them for what we know. And, and what we know, what we know is there's a report out there that they've asked for permission to talk to Les Frazier. Now, there's a few things there. Um, with the Buffalo Bills preparing for the playoffs, uh, there, there is a extremely limited window um, to receive that permission and talk to him, uh, number one. Number two, he is a former Chicago Bear and, 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 you know, somebody that the organization would be interested in talking to. Um, and it could be 
um, that that these would be initial interviews to to find out if this is somebody that they would want to ask a prospective general manager or director of football operations to interview or to ask their opinion of them. And so it may be. And again, I'm just giving you an explanation here. I'm not saying it's the way to go. I think it's it's it's. I would not even consider serious work on the head coach before I had the director of football operations. That that's what I would or wouldn't do. But as far as why they might doing be doing it, you know, these are some explanations for it. And, and, um, uh, you know, beyond that, you know, you might want to have, you know, George and the other people in the room talk to some guys, um, so that they can ask the, the the GM candidates what they think about them and start to compare notes that way. Um, you may just want to be preparing a list of, of guys that you know are quality candidates and then without telling a GM interviewee, you know, asking them who their top candidates are and seeing if any of these guys are on the list. So um, I don't think it's the, the way to go. I would not be interviewing coaches until my top football person um, was in place. But there are some potential explanations for it that it could be part of the process as opposed to them actually seriously considering hiring anybody, um, uh, you know, before they had the top football person, unless there's an elephant in the room. I, I, I mean, you know, Les Frazier, uh, great guy, great football coach, um, but but I don't think that you're going to get into a bidding war for him. Now, if a Jim Harbaugh did become available, if, if word leaked out that Sean Payton wanted to move, and I don't think there's any chance that's happening, but I'm just giving a few examples of this, that's when you have to jump on that, regardless of where you are with your top football person. And if it's one of those people, you're going to want to give that person input into your top football person and just find a way that they can coexist. Uh, you know, things went south in San Francisco uh, with the 49ers with Jim, and, and part of it we know was the relationship with he and Trent Baalke wasn't working. And they eventually both ended up out, and Trent Baalke's now the GM in Jacksonville. So um, if you're talking about... You, you, you know, finding a, a Lamborghini or, or Mercedes for your head coach, you do have to consider the possibility of giving them some input into the, to the GM situation as well. So I hope that answers your question. Um, let's get to one more. Uh, Kevin is in Glen Ellen. Kevin, how you doing tonight? I'm good, Hub. Thanks for good. asking. Um, so there's been a lot of made, there's been a lot made about, different organizational structures. I've heard you talk about it in the NFL and how, well, I guess I'll skip to what the Bears have. So with the Bears and what they announced today that won't change is that there will be a GM and they'll be the top football person, meaning they're the top person who makes decisions that directly affect the product on the field. Um, and that person is going to, is going to report directly to George McCaskey. So it's much the same as it's been in the past. The other teams may do it slightly differently. Um, the Bears chose not to change that aspect of it. I guess my specific question for you is, were you disappointed today to hear that they are not adding a title above GM, maybe director of football operations? And if you weren't disappointed, why do you think anything George has done should suggest that he can handle that role being overseeing the GM effectively? Because I personally am 
severely disappointed. And, you know, they may get lucky and find the right leadership. But I feel like the real problem, which is George, uh, you know, presiding over the head football person who directly affects the product on the field, that's the problem, in my opinion. Well, Kevin, uh, yeah, thank you for the call. And I'm not disappointed only because I don't know what the end game is and, and you can't get caught up in these titles. Uh, I mean, I think the green Bay Packers are probably the best organization in football over the last couple decades. And, and they have, you know, as, as opposed to an owner, their president is, is Mark Murphy because they're publicly held, but, but he is in essence, the George McCaskey there. Now he's a former player and obviously highly qualified. He's got a general manager in, in Brian Gutekunst, and, and then Brian Gutekunst has his, you know, personnel directors, and, and it works fine. We just heard that the, it sounds like Kevin Colbert may be retiring in Pittsburgh. He is one of the most successful football operators in the NFL, and he has always had the title of general manager. So, so you can't get hung up on the title. If they are going to hire a general manager who is going to assume the duties of this football czar that, that everybody, not everybody, but that many people in Chicago long for. And, and, and he is going to hire a director of player personnel who will assume the player evaluation and, 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 you know, free agency signings and salary cap management that Ryan Pace had that can work fine. You know, so, so just let, let's not get caught up in the titles and let's see what they do here. You know, now if they bring in somebody like Orion Pace, who is for the most part an evaluator and doesn't have any kind of executive experience or business experience, then it's probably more the same, and there's a good chance that it 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 could fail again. You know, but but we're not there yet. So, Kevin, that's the only reason I'm not disappointed. I, I was terribly disappointed that George said we're going to remove Ted Phillips from the football operation and two minutes later said he was putting him right back in the football operation because this is what's caused all this consternation and this confusion is, is what is it that they're doing? Bill Polian knows what to do. And I'm, I have some level of comfort that he's in the middle of this. And now I want to see what they end up doing and then I will certainly, you know, you know, put my name on something to the extent anybody cares and, and give you my opinion. And, and if they do, in fact, bring in another Ryan Pace type with those type of responsibilities and he's answering directly to George, I will have the same concerns that you do. But, but we don't know yet if that, in fact, is the end game. Guys, we're going to take a quick commercial break here. On the other side, we're going to we're going to broaden the the view a little bit. We're going to go up to thirty thousand feet. Eric at home is one of the best NFL insiders in the league. Uh, we'll hear what he's hearing from people around the NFL about the Chicago situation, as well as what the competition might be doing in places like Oakland and Denver and now Miami and Jacksonville. That's next right here at six seventy. The score. 